Founders Brewing Company has found a way to make an IPA you can enjoy anytime that's perfect for any occasion with their all-day IPA. At 4.7 ABV, you can still taste the hops, of course, but it's the complex array of malts and grains that make all-day IPA a beer that will grab your attention. That full flavor and low ABV is what continues to make it a staple in my fridge. Look for Founders in your favorite beer store or check out their full line of beer at foundersbrewing.com. Founders Brewing Company, born and brewed in Michigan since 1997. Good morning, I'm your host David, aka Baba, and this is Thy Daily Edge. A fresh twist on the morning brief where I share my views on everything from recent news and current affairs to popular culture and personal finance. Hope you enjoy the show. Now, if anyone knows me, you'll know that I am a great lover of fiction. And of all the fantastic mythical places invented by colonizers in the late 1950s, The Lord of the Rings is probably the greatest and most iconic. But I'd probably say that Nigeria and the Chronicles of Narnia are tied for second place. So I grew up in Nigeria, and I do have fond childhood memories of it. However, like most of your favourite childhood stories, when you grow up, you realise that, yeah. It doesn't really take much effort to pick apart the glaring potholes, the wooden characters, piss-poor world-building, lack of character development, and the fact that all the villains are these cliched archetypal caricatures. Nigeria seems to have been built on the same basic formula that CW uses to make all of their superhero series. I mean, we had a really good first three seasons, full of espionage and drama, political intrigue, you know, all of that, but after that, every single season was a repeat of the same tired storyline, but with a different version of the same villain and a few cheap jokes sprinkled in. I mean, how many times have we even had the exact same president? Bahari's already been here, before, and he's president again. Anyway, I won't get into that now, but the point is, we're getting tired of the same nonsense. But today I want to talk about why, decades after its independence, Nigeria still has the structural integrity of a condemned building. Now, if you've ever spent much time listening to Nigerians talking about Nigeria, you have inevitably heard of NEPA. It's a reference to what used to be known as the National Electric Power Authority, or as Nigerians like to say, never expect power always. And they're not wrong. So this year I returned home to Nigeria after somewhere over 10 years. The people that lived in the city were still in the city, the, those that lived in the village were still in the village, but Nepa remained the great equaliser to remind everyone that they're still mortal. In fact, the largest economic indicator that I saw of development over the last decade was the fact that far more Nigerians can actually afford to rely less on the government now to provide basic water and electricity, because now you can dig your own wells and use small gasoline generators to generate your own power. However, if you think that that means anyone is entitled to pay any less in taxes to a government that is tangibly inefficient and inadequate, then you don't understand Nigeria, because dysfunction is Nigeria's je ne sais quoi, the special source. It's what makes it special. How else would it make any sense at all that Africa's largest economy 
averages 10 blackouts a day, lasting anywhere from a few hours to a few days. And that doesn't include the 30% of Nigeria's population that aren't even connected to the electricity grid in the first place. Nigeria thrives on the edge of permanent disarray. How else would it be possible for the seventh most populous country on the planet to produce and consume roughly the same amount of electricity as Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland? I mean, for context, for context, Edinburgh has less than half a million people. I think it's 480,000. Nigeria has about 200 million. I'm not even going to do the maths to calculate how many multiples bigger that population is, but suffice to say, big enough. Where else in the world could a rumour spread that the best explanation for the president's lack of visibility is not that he moonlights as a travel blogger, but is actually because he's dead and has been replaced with a clone? Where else in the world will you hear that $100,000 is missing from the state education budget. Not because of corruption, not because of any nefarious activities whatsoever, but simply because it was eaten by a snake. $100,000 was eaten by a snake. You heard that correctly. I'm not, you know, this is this was national news. It's such a dysfunctional place. I remember not long ago, the Nigerian elections were coming up, and I woke up, I mean, I went to bed thinking, ah, elections in Nigeria start tomorrow morning. I wake up and check the news to see if there's any preliminary results that are out, and who's winning, and what's going on, and realise that the elections were cancelled. The elections were cancelled on election day, at like three in the morning. And I can't even remember if there was any real or tangible reason given, people had travelled miles to to different states or back to their home states so that they could vote. And the day of the election, three o'clock in the morning, the elections themselves were cancelled. This is the kind of country we're dealing with. Now, corruption in Nigeria has become this running joke that everyone's in on, and it's been the case for several decades now. Everyone makes jokes about Ah, the Nigerian princes that email you. It's like a live game show to see which of its government ministers can weasel away the most money in as little time possible. Nigeria is one of the few wonderful, magical places in the world where within a single 30-day period, the government's anti-corruption unit can find $43 million in cash in an empty apartment, then $800,000 in a Lagos market, then $1.5 million in a shopping plaza, then 9.8 million in a property belonging to the head of the national oil company, then 137 million at a commercial bank, then 153 million from its former petroleum minister. Keep in mind, all of those figures are in dollars, and all of those figures are the proceeds of Nigeria's unfathomable issue with corruption. Now, I'll grant you, Nigeria's corruption problem is multifaceted. So I won't continue to bore you with a multiplicity of of facts and figures, but suffice to say, it's one of the most corrupt places on earth. However, I do want to take this moment to warn against falling into what's becoming a familiar trap. I think it's very easy to see the problem at its surface level, 
And obviously it's reasonable to complain about the fact that police officers can rob you in traffic. And the fact that everyone from school teachers to airport attendants will ask you what you've brought for them. But while corruption is a deep and serious issue, I really want to touch on something I believe goes much deeper. It's the issue of governance. You see, Nigerians are some of the most innovative and resourceful people on the planet, as long as there's money involved. The simplest example of this was one I had a few weeks ago. So we were driving on a dirt road in Nigeria somewhere a few hours before midnight and three hours from the nearest big city. Um, It was getting dark fast and we had this feeling that we'd overshot the turning to take us to the village. So our driver wound down his window and just called this random kid that was sitting by the side of the road and asked him to show us the way. And that was it. I mean, it was dark. It was dark, dark. There's potholes in this road. They just called this random boy and he just left his friends and family in the middle of the night without any hint of resistance or negotiation. He just jumped on his bike and rode ahead of us for another half hour or so until we reached the village. Now, why would he do that? Why would he undertake this random and arduous task for someone that he's never met, for complete strangers? Well, it's because he knew he was going to be paid. He didn't even need to ask in advance. There's just this implicit understanding among Nigerians that work will be rewarded with pay. But that brings us to a deeper question. So unemployment is relatively high in Nigeria, somewhere around 20%, but the real issue is that Even amongst those who are employed, if you work in the public sector, it can often make very little difference. Doctors at state hospitals can go weeks without pay. Um, Even when they are paid, the pay will be late. School teachers can go for months without being paid. How how are you supposed to feed your family? If you are genuinely in full-time employment, you go to work every single day. You work hard, you work full days, but you haven't received a paycheck in six months. And this is why I personally maintain that corruption in Nigeria is largely a top-down issue. Because the people at the top are corrupt out of choice, and everyone else becomes corrupt by necessity. And in many ways, I liken it to America's problem with its tipping culture. So when employers know that employees can supplement their income with tips, they are incentivized to pay less and less until you have situations where some servers are paid as little as $2 an hour, but they're expected to turn that into $15 an hour with tips. And sometimes I've heard that you can even swap your part of your pay for your employer's contribution to your health insurance. I mean, it's, it's mad how little these people are being paid. Um, but the workers are now trapped in this hamster wheel where any customer that doesn't pay an additional tip to supplement their income is now an enemy. Like, they're the ones that are doing wrong. And the customers, likewise, are supposed to accept that suddenly it's their responsibility to pay their servers. Who don't work for them, they work for the restaurant. But the restaurant isn't going to pay them because they're expecting the customers to pay. It's a convoluted mess. But the point is that this is where we're at now with corruption in Nigeria. It's become a third sector of the economy. Where it's expected that you slide additional money to police officers and airport attendants and bank and government officials because and and sometimes it's because they're greedy but usually it's because they're underpaid criminally underpaid and so nigerian citizens just pay the money because it's easier than fighting in public 
which is something that's become an art form, mind you, among Nigerians. Whether it's at home, whether it's abroad, you know, that fighting in public thing, Nigerians have patents, patents on the fresh and unique ways to cause havoc. As I was saying, we're now in this really strange world where one of the largest producers of world-class doctors has no doctors left at home to treat its actual people. Now, allow that last part to sink in, because I'm genuinely not exaggerating here. The, the economy for overseas medical treatment in Nigeria has now passed the $1 billion mark. That means the ordinary Nigerians are saving their money, leaving home, and spending $1 billion every single year overseas. Usually in Europe or America, sometimes in places like Turkey, but it's a phenomenon that's become known as medical tourism. And, and it's hardly a secret. Even the country's president can disappear for weeks while he goes to the UK to be treated for any number of current maladies. Poor pay is a major factor in the exodus of doctors, uh, particularly those with families to support. Um, and I think what is a strange differentiator is it's not just doctors that... It's not people that left Nigeria when they were young, became doctors in other countries, and are now successful. It's people that train to be doctors in Nigeria, spend their early careers in Nigeria, and then leave. And another driver of all of this is the working conditions. This includes working overtime, and again, not because you're overwhelmed with sick patients, but simply because of the inadequate staff, the lack of diagnostic facilities, or just to supplement your monthly income. And once again, this wellspring of dysfunction comes from the top. Everyone's favourite government. Nigeria's health budget this year was less than 4%. Less than 4%. The next largest economy in Africa spends more than triple that. In fact, the, the percentage of government spending that's allocated to healthcare has decreased every single year since 2014, the year Buhari came into power. And the irony is that you might think that a sitting president would be more cognizant of the importance of healthcare when he spends more time in foreign hospitals than he actually does running the country. But there's another area that's also been struggling for funding. And you might guess it, but you might not realise just how bad it is. Nigeria's education record is abysmal. I'm not mincing my words here at all. It's ridiculous. Nigeria currently allocates a square 7% of its annual budget to educating its population. And that's despite the fact that UNESCO has repeatedly recommended that Nigeria spend no less than 26%. And it recommends that all developing nations spend at least 15-20%. to 20%. I mean, I can't remember all the statistics, but definitely within the last 10 years, Nigeria has never spent more than 10% in any single year. And like I said, for the last 5 years, it's decreased every single year. But let's provide some context, because you might not realise just how bad the 7% number is. One of Nigeria's neighbours, which they have an infamous rivalry with, is Ghana. And in Ghana they have not spent less than 20% in any year for a decade. In fact, their average, going back to the 1970s, is about 30%. That's five times what Nigeria spends. Actually, I think it was either 2011 or 2014, 
Ghana spent almost 50% of its budget on education. It was about 48.5%. Almost 50%. Nigeria is spending 6%. Eventually, Ghana is going to use all of this extra brain power to improve their jollof recipe. And that's where Nigerians are going to be shaking. But let's go back to that 7% figure. 7%. It sounds nuts already, but it's actually easy to let that slip past without understanding the magnitude of what that represents. I mentioned earlier that Nigeria has 200 million people. What I neglected to add was that the median age in Nigeria is 18, meaning that 100 million Nigerians are supposed to be in school. And somehow, the government believes that with just 7% of its budget, it can educate 50% of the entire population. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the magic of Nigeria. Also, for anyone that doesn't identify as any, you know, gender, this, this, is, this is the magic of Nigeria. Now, I know that I've made a lot of disparaging comments today, but it's not the case that I believe Nigeria is a completely hopeless and barren wasteland. Not at all. Uh, Nigeria, in my view, has the opportunity to make a greater comeback than LeBron James in the 2016 NBA Finals. I seriously mean that. I think that Nigeria, in my mind, has two great untapped potentials. It's people and it's resources. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can I say that when Nigeria's people are already working and its resources are already being mined? But the problem is Nigeria isn't actually the recipient of any of those benefits. You see, Nigeria may sit on one of the world's largest oil reserves, but it currently imports 90% of its petroleum. 90%. It seems that somehow, in the last six decades, we haven't become adept at processing oil. So we get this ridiculous situation where foreign companies come to Nigeria to extract Nigerian oil. Nigerians help them extract their oil. Nigerians help them carry the oil overseas, where it's processed, and sold back to Nigerians for a profit. A big profit. I will never understand how or why this works. And I even forgot to mention that even in the initial mining contracts, and I I actually helped to write an article for this for the African Global Finance Review, but the mining contracts they actually have initially are also bad. So even the the mining itself, Nigeria is getting a, a poor hand. We're not getting enough profits on those. And most other countries are now re-evaluating their mining contracts. Most other African nations, Egypt has, Angola has, uh, Ghana is in the process of doing so now, South Africa has, I think Botswana has also. But the point is, we're getting a bad deal at the beginning, and then we're not even doing anything with the oil. We, we give it away, and then buy it back, buy back our own oil. I want you to just take a step, just take a moment and realise how nuts that is. So anyway, before I get too overheated, the the point is that if we can ever regain control over our own resources, there are huge gains to be had. Although all of that said, actually, um, even when we are making those gains, we have more reason to be careful of the specter of corruption because $19 billion, $19 billion, $19 billion, That's how much oil revenue vanished in a single year in 2014. 
and $400 billion has vanished in a similar fashion. Because that's what money does now in Nigeria. Even today, it's estimated that 200,000 barrels a day are stolen by this vague network of warlords and businessmen and corrupt officials. I mean, first of all, they, they need to protect this money better. What What is going on? They need to speak to whoever is the head of compliance at Gringotts, you know, in Harry Potter in Gringotts. They need to speak to that guy, right? And they need to find out what kind of spells they are using to protect the vaults. Because the witches and wizards that they have here are clearly not doing the job. And in fairness to the Nigerian government, it must actually be very difficult to protect so much money when there are money-eating snakes just walking around and swallowing millions at a time. And of course, asking who would win in a fight between corrupt federal officials and money-eating snakes is like asking who would win between 10,000 lions and the sun. But there's a second reason that I have not yet completely lost faith in Nigeria. Nigerians are talented. As an example, in the US, Nigerians are by far America's most educated subgroup. 17% of Nigerians in America have at least a master's degree. Nigeria is an immigrant group in the US, but their median household income is actually far higher than the average American household. Nigeria exports more world-class scientists, doctors, athletes, and child geniuses than almost anywhere else on the planet. We're at least in the top 20 globally for all of those metrics. And, and by exports, I mean Nigerians living abroad whose talents are generally enjoyed by former colonial masters. But this is where the glaring dichotomy lies, and it's a bit of a chicken-egg situation. So how is it possible that Nigeria can produce so many child geniuses, despite only spending 7% on educating its children. Some of the best doctors in the world are Nigerian, even though Nigeria cannot pay its doctors on time. The current world's fastest man is Nigerian, despite all the struggles he had to get adequate funding and training. Obviously, he now represents the United States, but that's the point. Before being flogged by that small fat man, one of the best heavyweight boxers in the game was Nigerian. Even though the Nigerian Olympic boxers don't even have a boxing ring to train in. Do you understand how, how ridiculous that is? They don't have a boxing ring. We do not have an Olympic boxing ring. We've had all-time great footballers who were Nigerian, despite the fact that Nigeria keeps putting 41-year-olds on its under-21 team and can't provide adequate funding or training. And that's not even a joke, because I remember Obafemi Martins was... I don't remember how old he was supposed to be, but he was at the 96 Olympics. He was at the 96 Olympics, and then he was 19 again in, I think, 2001, when he joined Inter Milan. And then he was 20-something, like, 10 years later. He's now apparently 36. It's been well over 20 years. Anyway. No, he's even younger than that. I don't know. Any, the point is right? Nobody knows how old any of these Nigerian footballers are, but our actual under-17 team, which actually has legitimate people under the age of 17, there was a period where they were winning the World Cup all the time, and they were doing exceedingly well. But the list goes on. Um, you know, Nigeria's bobsled and equestrian athletes are entirely self-funded. We have some of the world's greatest athletes on GoFundMe, looking for money to buy Indemi, 
because the Nigerian government won't fund them. Genuinely, I, I actually don't know if Nigerians are naturally great or if they're just forced to become great because their country is trying to kill them. But the point is, if there was room to incubate those talents at home, Nigeria would pack a punch on the world stage. The fact that Nigeria is both Africa's largest economy and one of the most corrupt places on earth is at least an indicator of how much further Nigeria could go if they just stopped doing stupid things. Nigeria has a glaring silver lining that I think many people seem to forget. Not only is the nation young, but so are its people. In fact, if every child in Nigeria right now decided that they were tired of their government's never-ending shenanigans, and all the children left to form their own country, a country comprised only of Nigerians under the age of 18, that country would automatically be the most populous country in Africa. So, in my mind, Nigeria's greatest boon might be its potential to hit the reset button. Because the median age in Nigeria is only 19, so within the next decade or so, the youth of today will have their chance to choose the Nigeria that they want to inherit. They alone will have the opportunity to completely reinvent the country's legacy from the top down. And, of course, if they fail, Nigeria is doomed. That's the end pack it up, wrap it up, throw it in the bin. But if they succeed, Nigeria could well become one of the foremost economic titans of the 21st century. That's no joke. As it stands, one in seven black people on the planet right now are Nigerian. If the country continues to grow at its current rate, by 2045 its population will have overtaken America's. And as a nation that exports some of the world's finest minds, it should have more than enough brainpower to devise a system for Nigeria that will actually serve its people. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast. And if you have any comments or rebuttals, feel free to get at me on Twitter at DieDailyEdge or at JustCallMeBaba.
Circle K is America's thirst stop. And yours. Especially when the weather gets... And you need to stay... Stay refreshed on the go with ice-cold Circle K favorites like freshly ground iced coffee, Froster, Polar Pop Cup, and more. And right now at Circle K, save on all 8 or 12-ounce Red Bull flavors. Buy two, get one free. When life's go, 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 make us your first stop. Because Circle K is America's thirst stop. This morning, Jen woke up, made three breakfasts, did two loads of laundry, and one conference call. But she also saved $25. Because Jen uses a new innovation from Huntington called Money Scout. It analyzes Jen's checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to her savings automatically. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply to text alerts. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC.